3: Hey there, welcome to the Eurostep, a Milwaukee Bucks podcast, proudly a part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network and the Eurostep Podcast Network. We've got extra time between games, which means extra time to talk about the NBA Finals now that the Bucks have taken a game, now down 2-1 to Phoenix with another home game in Milwaukee looming on Wednesday. I'm joined as always by my energetic co-host Rohan Kadi and we have a guest this time, We've shouted him out on the last several collab pods, so we thought, who better to bring on than Jackson Frank? Words all over the internet, all of the good websites, also host of The House That Hinky Built here on Blue Wire. He's everywhere. His tweets are blowing up. Jackson, Rohan, how's it going?
2: I'm doing well. I appreciate uh, you having me on today. Excited to talk about some some Buck's uh, sons.
1: I mean, yeah, I'm excited. We have a great guest. It's a, we're coming off of a good win. It's a few days off because of uh, you know MLB stuff for some reason, but uh, it's uh, it's good to have a little bit of a rest. I feel like the finals have just been and just this playoff run have been just so hectic, and it, it's nice to have some time. So I'm glad we can get together and do this.
3: I agree. So I want to get started the same way we got started on the post game three pod. And that is we're gonna dive into some some nitty-gritty stuff here. I think everyone loves to talk strategy during the finals. We're certainly going to do that, but how can you not talk about Giannis at first? And I, I just want to throw in and get your take, Jackson, on what we've seen from him in the finals, because as much as we here on on the Eurostat Podcast Network, obviously huge fans, literally like namesake of Giannis <laughs> is the whole thing. But there was always the question, like, what would he look like on a stage like this? There were always playoff questions, everything else. You know, Jay Crowder and, and Ayton, two guys who have done well defending Giannis in the past. The Suns, a very good team on both ends. Feels like he's answered a lot of questions, back-to-back 40 burgers. He's putting himself in rare, esteemed statistical company already through just three finals games. You know, what are your overall thoughts on what we've seen from Giannis so far uh, before we dive into the, the specific parts of Buck's sons.
2: Yeah, I mean, I have I think what's been most impressive is, you know, in game one, he came out of the gates looking pretty good. You know, it was his first game in a week or so after the hyperextension in his knee. Um, but at some point in the second half, he just he just kind of seemed to, I don't know exactly what the phrase is, but he just didn't quite seem to be, you know, he was playing in the corner a little bit, was off the ball a ton. and it, And, you know, there's maybe concerns like, is is he going to be less than 100 like? Is this Giannis we're going to get like you know a guy who's still very good but you know you, you can't have him score 20 points a game and that and that be who he is if you want to win a title. And these last two he's been he's been awesome. He's still kind of coming out early in the early in the first quarter for that little rest. But um, people always seem to fret over and then all of a sudden Giannis is fine um, because that's just what he's done you know, as of late. Um, but I've been most impressed by one the conditioning level we've seen because Giannis, I mean, he's a fantastic conditioned athlete. I mean, especially these playoffs that you've seen from him, but uh, especially after Game One, that was surpri- That was not surprising, but it's impressive how he's kind of bounced back there. Um, and then just just the ways he and the Bucks are kind of, you know, applying his skill set. You know, for so for so long, or not so long. You know, the, when Giannis made his kind of announcement to be an MVP type player, there was so much of that kind of that four out around random attack from the top of the key. But in these finals, he's, he's he's just crushing. He's crushing Phoenix in the mid post. He's getting a few you know empty corner pick and rolls where he's finishing at the rim. Um, yesterday, obviously, he shot you know seventy six and a half percent from from uh, the line. So uh, just really impressed in kind of how he bounced back from a not a bad game one, but like a little little underwhelming compared to what the Bucks needed for him to to win this series. And and just the way he's being used and kind of representing the way he's grown as as a scorer over the last year or so.
1: Yeah, I think that's a great way to frame it. I think on their last post-game pod, tie, we forgot to mention uh, just putting Giannis's historical significance into context that he is, once again, just a week and a half removed, two weeks from that gruesome injury uh, it, we thought was season-ending, he thought was season-ending. It's just, it's incredible. And Jackson, you mentioned like the empty corner pick and rolls and stuff like that. I thought throughout these playoffs, that we've seen an evolution of Giannis as a player. We still saw a lot of those, uh, you know, top of the key, going one on five sort of plays uh, that Tyrese Halliburton called the fullback dive in the latest low post, which I thought was fantastic. Um, but we saw we saw a lot of those early on, even throughout this regular season, we saw it a little bit more than we had liked to see. It was drastically reduced compared to previous years, but we still saw it. In these playoffs, like starting in the Brooklyn Brooklyn series, we started to see it a lot more. We started to see this team play a lot of isolation ball a lot. And it bothered us because we knew that it wasn't going to be like a tenable solution. And it wasn't going to work, and they eventually remedied that, and they went on to win that series and get to the finals. We've seen that evolution take place. Because in Game 3 against Phoenix... There were a lot of instances where Giannis was like, "Okay, I have a chance to attack here on my own," but no, I can flow into a quick pick and roll. I think the one with Pat Connaughton really epitomized that, in that uh, it was on the, I think it was the left side of the floor. He tried to attack Jay Crowder in uh, isolation, just flowed into a screen and roll with Pat Connaughton, and it's so, like Pat Connaughton's not like an elite ball handler or anything. He's not someone you want in like a pick and roll situation, but it doesn't matter because his drive on his own and Giannis setting a good screen, making sure Chris Paul gets behind the ball handler. It's just, it opens up so much space for Giannis to just attack. And it's simple things like that, that we've seen evolve in Giannis's game throughout this postseason run. And it's really all coming to fruition in these finals.
3: Yeah, I think, you know, it's just important that it feels like it's kind of clicked for Giannis and the team, like, it's not a weakness if you need to be set up to opt- operate optimally, right? Like there's a handful of players in the league that it doesn't matter, like Kawhi, KD, et cetera, where you know, you can set a screen but you don't have to. It doesn't it, I mean, I think it I'm sure the data says it matters, but it feels like it doesn't matter at least. Giannis is not really a player like that, especially when, you know, um, he's gonna get doubled it's at least from the top of the key i think from the post like you mentioned jackson they've been setting him up especially on mismatches closer to the basket and you know then one on- one he's just gonna <laughs> he's just gonna destroy guys um attacking a set defense one on five is, is not optimal and that that's when the bucks get in trouble but it's been great to just see the evolution of how he plays and how everyone plays with him and yeah i mean i think it's instructive look at the pat Con example because if Pat can be the ball handler with Giannis and it works, like, at, I think that that's a test case that will work for just about anybody, right? Like, no disrespect to uh, Bucks legend, who I've said if they win it all, put his jersey in the rafters. But I didn't say it because he's a great pick and roll ball handler. Um,
2: but yeah, I, th- I think what's been most impressive, I don't know, most impressive, one of the impressive things too is like, like to start these playoffs, like. Giannis, he wasn't great offensive. Like you know, despite the Bucks, you know, dismantling the Heat, like Giannis' numbers weren't great in that series. And he was he was really good in Game One against the Nets, and then he he wasn't great in Game Two, and he was pretty good in Game Three. But kind of since Game Four of that Nets series, he's just been on another level. He's at, you know, over his last uh, eleven games, he's averaging thirty one a half points, twelve and a half rebounds, four and a half assists, a steal and a block, uh, and that comes out to be. Uh, just checking the math here quickly over those 11 games for him, 63 and percent true shooting. So 31 on 63 and a half true shooting uh, is pretty dang ridiculous. So you've just seen him get better, you know, in, in the playoffs, right? Which isn't always the case. Sometimes guys have great, you know, rounds one or two because they're, they're playing on a better team against a lesser opponent. And then they start to fall off with Jonathan, it's been the opposite. You're seeing everything he, he and the Bucks kind of work toward in this regular season to kind of make him a more complete offensive player. You know, with the mid-post stuff, getting the ball in the elbow at the elbow, you're running more pick and rolls or whatnot. I don't know. I don't actually know if he ran more pick and rolls statistically in the regular season, but all the things that you can kind of do with Giannis beyond just say you know go attack from the top of the key, he is he is doing it. Especially over the last you know the second half of this playoff run, so that's that's been really impressive. You're seeing him kind of just take a step forward in the most important rounds, and it has the Bucks you know with a chance to to win the title.
1: Before we move on past uh, Pat Connaughton, uh, Jackson, I want to know what what are your thoughts on Ty saying that if the Bucks win the title, um, Pat Connaughton should get his jersey retired? <laughs> uh,
2: I don't know. I don't know how I feel, but I mean, he's he's done some nice things, but it feels let's maybe if they get two, we can we can give Pat uh, if you got thank two you, thank you cup I think we got to be a little. I mean, Giannis will get his number retired regardless of what happens this year. I'm sure. You know we'll get Chris in there as well, but let's let's wait to let's let's wait to uh to give Pat his flowers until they they get a second one. But he he's done some nice things in these playoffs, especially in in Game Two. I know they didn't win Game Two, but, but Pat was quite quite good in Game Two, especially it was a turnaround from from his Game
3: One startles. If they get two, I'm going to be advocating <laughs> for a statue of Pat, like, and you know it'll be fitting. Maybe they can buy the real estate from Pat that they put the Pat statue on, and really come full circle. But um, I like the sound of the Bucks getting two, though, after getting one 50 years ago, and that's <laughs> it. Um, but I, I want, so let's talk about defense now, Rohan. You teased it specifically the way the Bucks are defending the pick and roll because that feels like you know that's the defensive action that really matters, right? And if you including um, Spain pick and roll, all, all the screens basically how the Bucks handle Suns screens because that's so much of the great stuff that the Suns do on offense is some variation of Ayton and or other guys screening for Chris Paul and Devin Booker. And I think game one, what we saw was a very aggressive five-man switching where even if the Suns weren't setting great screens, the Bucks were automatically giving Lopez to Booker or Paul, and those guys were enjoying that. Not as much as many people thought or, or posted, I, I I admit that, or I, I concede that, but they were, they were making it very easy for Phoenix to pick the matchups they wanted and essentially taking P.J. Tucker and, more importantly, Drew Holiday out of actions. And then in the third quarter of that game, they go back to the deep drop and that just like lit a fire for Phoenix. I think since then, we have seen the Bucks make it... The, the adjustment that I've seen, and I, I want to hear from you, Jackson, and then also you, Rohan, of course, but... It seems like the biggest takeaway is no matter how they're doing it differently, we see some traps with Portis. I think that's more because of Portis than anything. But it seems like the Bucks are really striving to keep Drew and PJ on CP and Booker. Even if it opens up the opportunity for, you know, a step back three real quickly or someone's diving to the rim and the Bucks have to rotate over and help. Like they're saying, listen, we'll allow some of that, those looks. We're not going to let CP get comfortable against our worst defenders the whole game. We're not going to do that. You're going to have to beat Drew Holiday and PJ and Chris Middleton and Giannis if you're going to score one-on-one. And those guys are still going to do that sometimes. I mean, they're going to score on everyone. They're great players. But to me, that's what's been the big difference. I think we've seen it. It's made a huge impact on the game. And of course, they've gone smaller as well. We've seen that. But uh, Jackson, what are your thoughts on how the Bucks' defense has evolved as this series has gone on?
2: Yeah, well, I think I think one thing you got to give the coaches have a lot of credit for is they haven't been short on on throwing everything Phoenix's way, right? I mean, I mean first have a game too lonely, I think they had four different coverages.
3: Whether it was wait, whoa, drop whoa, whoa, whoa. And, I heard Bud has never made an
2: adjustment,
3: <laughs> Never.
2: Uh, not once. yeah, we'll get into that later, but yeah, the, 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 Bud, <laughs> the Bud stuff is people are off, off base about what to, what to harp on him for, but. Uh, that's what I've been impressed by is that, you know, they're trying a lot of different things in game three. Well, even going back to game two, like they opened with with Drew basically pressuring Chris Paul from the moment he touches the ball. Um, but in game three, there was an even bigger emphasis. I think there was a play early in that game where Aiton ended up scoring, but they, they had like four different guys crowding Chris Paul upon his touch. And then they were kind of scrambled. But um, that was kind of what they wanted to do is they made their pickup points really high. Um, they didn't want to let Chris Paul kind of get into those early offense actions that Phoenix really kind of crutches teams with. Um, I talked about it. I tweeted it yesterday. I think when I was rewatching the game, but f- any offense, especially Phoenix, loves to take advantage of just the just the space a defense will typically see as a possession unwinds or you know, begins. Uh, and Milwaukee said we're not going to give you that. They they had like four to five guys above the three point line picking up, you know, or you know, picking up t- their assignments there, um, not letting kind of trying not to let them you know flow into those those Spain pick and rolls or those high screen rolls, those double drags. Um, and then once once DeAndre Aiden was in foul trouble, um, the Bucks basically realized, okay, the Suns have no interior scoring threat. Um, you know, CP is, is a great player, of course, still, but he's not someone who's going to put a lot of pressure on the rim. Um, you know, Mikel can get there with cuts and stuff, and Mikel was, was a little, he was unsure of himself yesterday, which has happened at times. Um, Booker, you know, Booker had a, I don't know exactly what's up with Devin Booker, but um, he settled for a lot of threes yesterday. He didn't play, I think, what the last ten or so minutes of that game, um, and so the Bucks just realized if we just pressure this team a ton, we've we probably have at least as good of athletes. We have more length. Um, that'll make things really tough. And so they basically just said, sure, like if if you want to back cut or so drive to the rim, you can try it, but. We don't think you have the personnel to do it, and we're not worried about Frank Kaminsky as a finisher or when you go small. We're definitely not worried about you You having kind of guys who can p- put pressure on the rim or in the paint. So um, that, that was most impressive. They just really kind of – it felt like Phoenix was responding to everything Milwaukee was doing defensively rather than, you know, typically it's the offense, you know, makes the first move and the defense responds. And so um, maybe that's a little cliché or simplified, but I was just very impressed by the way Milwaukee, you know, really forced Phoenix to – go to plan B or C or reset a possession because that doesn't happen very often but typically Phoenix is is great about you know doing what it wants and having you know the, the outcome you know flow as, as it prefers
1: I don't think that's an overly simple way to put it I think it's a, it's a lot of like instead of Phoenix setting the tone in this game in game three I should say Milwaukee's was starting to set the tone it's uh, it's a lot of defensive uh, evolution like you mentioned throughout this series so far. There's just been a lot of coverages. You mentioned they showed, like, what was it, four different coverages, at least in the first half, uh, in terms of pick-and-roll defense. It's just you see that they learned a lot from the Brooklyn series. In terms of, like, mindset, obviously not in terms of schematics because they're playing these very, very, very differently. But what they wanted to do to confuse a guy like Kevin Durant or at least make life more difficult for him as you possibly can, is just throw everything you can at him and vary it up as much as you can. So you're giving him different looks every time down the floor. They would throw Drew on him, they'd throw PJ, Chris, sometimes Pat Connaughton for some reason. It's just those things would happen and, you know, it's it's impossible to stop Kevin Durant, but you sort of make life as difficult as you possibly can do. And that's the same sort of mindset that they're applying in this series. Chris Paul is going to pick apart whatever he wants to in terms of pick and roll he will do whatever he wants he'll find whatever weakness that he can find and he'll exploit it you saw him doing that in real time in game three they started to trap and they weren't trapping very well I thought there were a bunch of lazy traps from Brooke and Giannis especially on that one dump off to Kaminsky in the lane like if you're gonna trap you have to actually smother the guy and if it's Brook and Giannis he can't just like lazily like not put your arms all the way out like come on you guys are seven footers and Chris Paul is like barely a six footer you 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 can make the passing lane a little more difficult but that's besides the point he was just he was picking it apart he was finding the right pass right away but the thing is he had to react to those in real time like you mentioned Jackson they they made Phoenix think the Milwaukee Bucks made Phoenix think and that just makes them play a half step slower which plays into Milwaukee's advantage because then you, you are able to dictate the flow, you are able to dictate how you want this game to be played in terms of pace, in terms of tempo, and that's what leads to a winning formula, and that's how Milwaukee has won a lot of these games in the postseason, by dictating the flow of the game.
2: Yeah, and I think you mentioned Chris Paul. Like I mean, Paul Statland was good last night. I think he had nineteen and nine on sixty percent sixty two percent true shooting. Um hit some pr- like hit some pretty tough shots. Like, I remember he had that one of Giannis in the third quarter that was just just outstanding ability to get that jumper over him um by him giving up twelve inches or whatever it is or a foot. Um, but it didn't I don't know, I don't wanna be like, oh, like the eye test over the stats. Obviously Chris Paul played well, but it felt a lot more tough for Chris Paul in game three than it did in game two. Um, or game one, whichever one, whichever one he had, it was game one, right? When he had the big explosion, then, then Booker had the game two yeah. uh, with seven threes. So it ju- it just didn't feel. And I think CP was still good in game two, um, and he again, it wasn't bad in game three by any means, but it just it felt different, especially once Aiton's minutes were so limited. Like I think Aiton played like four and a half minutes in the second half, um, something like that, and so it just felt like without any sort of you know someone to drop the ball off to in his you know his probes and those pick and rolls. And with Milwaukee switching everything, and Milwaukee actually had some success at the end of game two, I think switching, um, I think they kind of figured that out. Um, They gave Chris Paul some issues there. Uh, I just thought it was a lot tougher for for Chris Paul. I, I didn't feel like, you know, the way I've kind of, the phrase I've used a lot as I talk about superstars in these playoffs is like the ripple effect of a guy's, you know, offense. It didn't feel like the ripple effect was there for CP. Everything just felt so methodical and tough and, and Chris Paul's a great player he's an all-time great and so we still got his but it didn't feel as effective or impactful and that and that's really what stood out to me but um, I do want to mention too I thought Chris Middleton was way better defensively in game three like game two he was just I mean on both ends he was really really poor but game three I thought he did a good job switching on to and at times like not letting and get deep position on those dives or those seals Um, He had some really nice possessions on the ball against CP and Devin Booker as well. So I just want to give him a little shout out because I I know I'd been critical of him on Twitter. I was critical of him in an article I wrote after the first couple games. So I thought Chris was great on both ends, but particularly on defense, I thought he was really critical to uh, what, what they were trying to do defensively.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed.
3: Chris is like one of the easiest guys I think to forget that he's six eight, and when he <laughs> plays six eight, it makes such a huge difference for the Bucks. And it is a both ends thing, but I mean, in earlier rounds, and I think it's a positive for the Bucks that for whatever reason, he's gotten better as almost every series has gone on. We've usually seen his better moments four, five, six, seven, not one, two, and in, in this series three. Although, like I agree, the defense much better for him, but. You know, he's, like, getting offensive rebounds and putbacks. He's defending well. He's locked in. That version of Chris, where he plays more like he's 6'8", you can live a lot better with, oh, it's a bad shooting game for Chris. Like, there's still a lot of ways he can contribute. He didn't do that in game two. I think in game three, he did. I mean, three points in the second half is just not good enough. He's got to be better than that. The Bucks obviously won big anyway, so it's not super critical. But I just never want him locking three points in a half of a finals game. But I think defensively, if he's locked in there, I mean, honestly, Drew Holiday, outside of I think it was the four threes in the third quarter that were so huge, you know, those aren't going to be there for him every game. But the impact he's making on defense, the playmaking, I want to see Drew shoot more within the arc, too. But both of those guys, they need to be involved all over the ball because we've seen in this series already, they're not always going to be consistent offensive contributors. Hopefully Chris is from here on out. They kind of need him to be. But Making that impact on defense is so huge. I think the Bucks their I mean, this is true of literally every team, probably maybe outside of like the Harden Rockets or something, but their defense sets up their identity so well and I think it's important. But one thing on defense I want to touch on, or just in general, is Brooke Lopez. And his role in this series and his minutes, I think he logged 22 in game three, which it was 15 until the fourth quarter when the game was kind of out of hand. The Bucks just went away from him. Some of it was Portis. I think about eight or nine minutes was just Giannis and no center out there. And it's so tough because I understand the switching has done well against Phoenix. I think the, the idea there is simple. I mean, you talk about CP not being able to have as much of a ripple effect. And I think Aiton not playing much in the second half plays into that. Booker not playing much or playing well in the second half has a lot to do with that. I think those two guys are pretty clearly engineered to be the co-leading ball handler on the team. If you take one out for an extended stretch, it just gets so much harder. But I think the other thing is when the Bucks are switching, suddenly you're just not giving up some of the easy passes that have been there, uh, especially in game one. I mean, in game one, they were letting Book and C.P often just pass to each other wide open from three, and it was just bad. But um, and the switching is easier without Lopez. Basically, whenever he's not out there, you feel better about one through five, even if you don't want to totally do it with Portis. Certainly when neither of those guys are out there, the Bucks are going to be switching. But Lopez is good. And as I know you've pointed out, the bucks you know, for all the concerns about switching or whatever else, like they, outside of game one, when they got torched in that third quarter mostly, they usually haven't gotten absolutely annihilated in his minutes. He's held up on switches. He defends the rim in a way and, and rebounds in a way that no one else on the Bucks does. Jackson, we we had this discussion last night. I don't know if we came to a good answer. Where are you at on how much Lopez should play and the role he's played in this series thus far and, and how effective he's been?
2: Yeah, so I didn't I didn't mind it yesterday, him not playing as much because one, like they didn't have they didn't have to worry. Like it was it was kind of smart for them to go small because they're small was still bigger than than phoenix is small with it with eight and out of the game for so much the second half there and booker you know whatever I'm, i am curious to kind of see if there's any explanation about you know booker just you know playing so little and obviously he was not very good yesterday um but i, th- I thought it made sense because like portis was, was really good in the offensive glass now you know lopez has been very good in the offensive glass at times throughout these playoffs as well um but i didn't mind that as much because they could go small but you still have you know, you still have, you still you can go, you're bigger than the other team. Uh, and obviously, Booker is probably the guy who's going to give teams the most di- difficulty on, on switches. Obviously, CP can do his thing, but I think Booker is more likely to get turn the corner and, you know, either finish the rim or make a pass or something like that. So I didn't mind it yesterday, but I would be hesitant to say, oh, yeah, we should be kind of platooning. Are four slash five with Portis and and uh, Lopez kind of fifty fifty there, um, because Aiden's not. I mean, Aiden's not going to get in foul trouble again, most likely. I mean, he's he's only averaging four fouls per hundred possessions in these playoffs. He's barely gotten the foul trouble through. I think they've played twenty games now or so. My math is probably off there, you know, but um, they've played you know a lot of games in these playoffs, and he's barely been in foul trouble. So I think you need him out there because Aiden's going to play a ton. Uh, and the fact of the matter is, the first two games, Lopez was their second best player. Um, on the aggregate, obviously, you know, maybe Chris Middleton was a little better in game one, especially with that torrid third quarter he had, but, um, Lopez was good in both games. So, um, I think maybe that 28 to 32 minute range is probably good. A lot of it depends on Portis too, and how he's holding up defensively, but, um, like they can't, they, they can't do what they did in games one and two, where you're like, and, and PJ Tucker was much better yesterday. Um, did a really good job of kind of exploiting, you know, Chris Pollard and Booker on the offensive glass. And obviously he hit a three, he had a couple of other nice plays, um there but I, I just i just think the the game flow made it so portis could play a lot straight and lopez didn't have to but it doesn't feel sustainable because i don't think it's going to get in foul trouble i don't think devin booker is going to sit out you know that long of a stretch like he did yesterday so um i want him to play more because i think he's been quite good i know he wasn't great yesterday i um, mean he was solid but um i don't think they should look at that game and go oh, we can we can win comfortably with brooke lopez only playing 21 minutes because the circumstances even if there are some replicable things, a lot of replicable things about what the Bucks did, um, Booker play, Booker and Aiton playing so little in the second half doesn't feel like something the, the Bucks should bank on moving forward.
1: Yeah, it just didn't make sense yesterday because there was no reason to have to, you know, live with those like defensive matchups you have to go to when Lopez is on the floor. You didn't you didn't have to do that when it, when Aiton was in foul trouble like he was, and there was no Devin Booker like you mentioned to really exploit those mismatches. It just made sense. To play a lot more Portis and a lot more Giannis rather than uh, Brook at the five, it's just it's interesting. You bring up that he's been like their second best player in these in the first two games in the series. He's been largely like the second best player at times during these playoffs altogether. It's just he's been a very very consistent contributor, and it's it's sort of a little disheartening to see him not play as much. And I'm sure we'll get into that when we talk about Bud but there are instances where he's just it's it doesn't make sense to play him again he's not like a perfect player but he's he's shown that he's not he's capable of not getting played off the floor in instances he can still hold his own in terms of mismatches it's fine it's it's a little bit overblown but you know he has his limitations just like any other player and sometimes it works out to not play him as much and that's why i was okay with him not playing as much in game 3 but i do agree with you Jackson i think he should be playing like a significant role going forward because Aiton's going to be out there a lot more. He's probably not going to get in foul trouble again, like you mentioned. It's That's the key for Milwaukee, realistically, if they want to really take a stranglehold of the series is to try and get Aiton in foul trouble again because the non-Aiton minutes are just untenable for Phoenix against this Milwaukee team and their size, especially with the homie going down. It's, it's, it's just untenable for Phoenix. They have to rely on DeAndre Aiton to play big time minutes and I think he will he's definitely capable he's shown everyone in the entire world that he is more than capable of being a star level player in these finals and then this postseason as a whole he should be back on track to play you know 35 40 minutes in game four and going forward it's just how how long can Milwaukee just sort of like attack because they're gonna go out there in game four right from the jump and attack Aiton they want to get him in foul trouble quickly or at least they're going to try to they probably won't succeed given that I don't know maybe the whistle won't be the same in game four as it was in game three but who knows who knows but uh it's going to be their game plan to try to get Aiton in foul trouble and maybe that means less Brook Lopez but it just it largely depends on Deandre Aiton in terms of Brook Lopez minutes
2: yeah. I, I tend, I tend to agree. And I, yeah, like I said, I, I had no problem with him not playing much yesterday. That wasn't like, I think we're all we're I think we're all kind of in, in lockstep on that, on that part of it. But the first two games, I thought it was, I thought it was pretty inexplicable. Um, not expli- I, un, Indefensible, I guess would be the best way to put it. But, like, I get you wanted to go more perimeter base with Pat in closing, but but P.J. Tucker wasn't very good the first couple of games. And so if you want to go with that, like, at least go with, you know, the guy who had been good uh, and Brooke Lopez there. So uh, really curious to see how Bud approaches that moving forward, because, um, because it, I think you you're gonna have I mean you're gonna have to play the guy who I think at this point has been your your third best. I tweeted during the Hawks I thought Lopez had been the second best, but Middleton's put together some pretty nice games since I tweeted that. So uh, I would say third best at this point. But as as you said, Rohan, these these there's been stretches where he's definitely been their second best player, and so uh, I just I just think you are. I think as a coaching staff, you yes, there are times where it doesn't make sense to play in heavy minutes, but for the most part, you should be playing. Like you really, I just think you're you're putting yourself at risk if you're not going to play one of your best players. And it's not like, it's not like a situation where it's one of your best players through regular season. Who's just struggling. It's a guy who's been one of your best players for the last three years now, and is having a really good run. So uh, I, I would say I'm a little worried about, about how Bud manages that given the first couple of games. Um, but I understood game three, but it is something that I'm, I'm very much looking to monitor with, with Aiton and Booker, kind of the two guys who are, you know, key to Brooks presence one way or another, Um, likely being being a much bigger part of the second half you know moving forward
3: the Bucks starters still their best lineup in the finals so far uh they added a lot of minutes and a very good net rating some of that granted came i believe in the third quarter when they beat up on the suns when they weren't playing guys but still i do think it's it again talking about things that might seem like oversimplifications play the best five guys more and it tends to have good results even if the matchup isn't ideal um we've been dancing around it a little bit let's let's talk about the real story with bud and i think all of us now have been driven crazy by the tweets that are i i joked about it earlier no adjustments same old budenholzer no adjustments and it's like not even close. I think this whole playoffs, I think a lot of it, I don't want to say a lot of it. I think some of it is probably player-driven. We've already heard that Drew Holiday has had uh, input and, and has made his thoughts felt on certain uh, approach. P.J. Tucker has, you know in media availabilities, pleaded for certain coverages or, or tweaks, namely not helping him as much when he was guarding Kevin Durant. So I think that's part of it, but that doesn't matter. At the end of the day, credit to Bud, who has been very proactive. I mean, something like Giannis coming out of the gates guarding Kyrie Irving in the Nets series. That's not happening a year or two ago. They weren't that Why? I mean, look at the Eastern Conference Finals when never guards Kawhi, doesn't guard Jimmy in the bubble, and eventually gets hurt. And... You know, Wes Matthews actually did a really good job and doesn't play in two fourth quarters very inexplicably. But that there's the real bud problem. It's minutes and rotations and who doesn't play and who does play. I think that's been more of a consistent problem all along. But if you talk about flexibility, adjustments, trying things, we've seen a ton. We've seen all sorts of things. I mean, you mentioned it earlier, the whole gamut basically. They haven't done zone. I hope they never do zone in the series. They They're not suck good. at zone. They're terrible My at zone. They cannot do zone. They didn't try it as much. The switching started bad, but they got better. The zone, it's not the time to try and bust out the zone, but I want your just general Budenholzer thoughts, Jackson. I think he's one of the harder coaches to talk about because not even polarizing. I think just most people have written him off that he sucks and he's terrible and irredeemable and everything else. And, we've certainly all two of us, at least on this podcast had our issues and, and levied a lot of mistakes and things at bud, but you know, he's still, he's actively coaching, he's doing stuff. It's still worth analyzing and seeing what he does wrong and what he does right. And there's been some of both, like honestly there is with pretty much any coach.
2: Yeah. I, I think overwhelmingly, honestly, bud has been pretty good. Like the, like the the adjustments to me matter more than the rotations every co- every person weighs coaching differently like the the coach this my goodness i'm stumbling over my words here uh the rotations have been kind of maddening like uh no disrespect to jeff teague but like he just he just doesn't deserve minutes in this series like he just hasn't he's not hitting threes he's too like he's still slow as a decision maker he's getting beat on the perimeter defensively um like you just can't play him like I, like and the fact and it's one of he's playing is the fact that he is like he's like running he's organizing sets and whatnot. it's like, if you just want to stice him as a spot up shooter, sure, I get it. But like he shouldn't be running pick and rolls and taking floaters and whatnot. But um I, I really like what Bud's done with the adjustments because I think it has like to an extent he he's he's working he's working uphill a little bit when you know when drew like drew's done some really great things defensively in this series or in the playoffs but the fact of the matter is he still has a sub 50 percent true shooting and decision making offensively has been pretty rough and that's a guy they're entrusting a lot of possessions through chris Middleton has been as you said ty like gotten better as the playoffs have gone on but still kind of some inconsistencies in his game and so when you get that like from your second or third best players it can be really tough so like i mean like any small adjustment you make sure it could be better if you played jeff teague zero minutes rather than eight minutes but like it's more important for those guys to play better. So I've been mainly impressed with, with or even even if I think that the rotation should be shortened and like going nine deep in the NBA Finals or the Eastern Conference Finals, um, you know, is not something I would do and deserves significant criticism, but um, the adjustments do matter. And I think those have been really impressive um, because, but at the end of the day, like this, this, I mean, the players are the ones who deserve the most credit and responsibility for success or failure. Um, and I think, you know, to, to an extent, you know, Bud can only do so much. And so um like you don't want to give him too much credit for like some of the adjustments, but you don't want to give him too much blame for some of those rotations because you don't want to like you don't want to harp on 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 him on him playing a guy eight minutes in a game when when Drew Holiday is four or fourteen from the field or Chris Middleton is is giving up open three after open three like game two. So um obviously Chris has been quite good, you know, as of late, especially so I don't want to, you know, attack him, but that's kind of my long winded way of saying I've liked what Bud's done, I think more focus should be on the players because that's what's most important at the end of the day in a sport like this.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I agree with that sentiment. It's just it's impossible. I I saw a lot of discourse in terms of Bucks Twitter after the uh, game. I can't game two loss. It was or was a game one of the two. It was uh oh man like why did Bud play uh, Jeff Teague or Bryn Forbes for X amount of minutes when. uh, if they didn't play that, they would have lost. They could have won the game. It's like no, uh, Chris Middleton, Drew Holiday couldn't hit the broadside of a barn for the entirety of the game. Like that's why they lost the game. That's what. That's not. Uh, that's not on the rotations. I think uh, one of the main criticisms of the rotation and one thing we've talked about here on this podcast is uh, just. Just the allotment of it, not not necessarily the allotment of how they how they sort of fit together in terms of actual lineups on the floor. We've seen a lot of three-man bench lineups out there, and it's come as close as uh, Bud has come in the last couple of years <laughs> to doing those full five-man uh, bench lineups in the playoffs that we've seen in the past. But we have we've we've seen too much of like Forbes, Portis, and Connaughton all out there mm-hmm. at the same time early in games, and I think that's the gripe more than sort of minute allotments because. I think Jeff, Jeff Teague is is fine. I, I agree with you, Jackson. He's he's running way too much out there. He can't hit a floater or anything to save his life. But uh, it's better than whatever Bryn Forbes is attempting to do on the basketball court right now. He cannot hit a he can't hit rim on the majority of his attempts anymore, which is just a glaring problem. And uh, so you, you can't really you can't really play him anymore. Uh, so you kind of have to play Teague, especially with. This, we've said this before, but just Dante being out, that's so crucial in that the guard depth is severely limited. So you have to either size up Connaughton or you just have to uh, you know, play Jeff Teague for a couple minutes a game. But yeah, I think it's more of like playing multiple bench guys at once and not having at least three or four starters in there at one time. More than, uh, more than the actual minute allotments themselves.
2: Yeah, I tell I, I agree. I think that's that's really fair, and I guess that would probably be my. I when I think about it now, when I'm watching the games and whatnot, that is a bigger criticism in the moment. So um, I must just there's so many different things going on with this series and swirling my brain well <laughs> around the bucks and and coach Bud and whatnot uh, that I just just get that. I definitely agree that that would be my bigger gripe with with the rotations than the actual actual minutes. But uh, but yeah, I. I I am bummed that we were we were robbed of uh, a a Hills or Doc Rivers uh, Eastern Easter Constantines we would have gotten <laughs> we have got ten bench players out there at the same time and I guess we might have gotten that anyways with Nathan Millen doing a similar thing, but uh it would have been quite the uh quite the show there. But uh fortunately for the uh, the Bucks and their fans, Bud makes adjustments in a way that Doc uh, had not shown an ability to do. But anyhow, would, I,
1: would, I digress. <laughs> it would have been fun to see which one could outdo the other. Just a <laughs> I,
2: I, my money would certainly be on, on Bud there, uh, no doubt, given his like I said, his adjustments in a way that, that Doc doesn't really uh, consider significant adjustments.
3: Well, I was gonna. I mean, you 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 know, uh, bemoan the lack of this. Monty Williams is going very deep, and I know Aiton's foul trouble had a lot to do with it. I've already on the on the post game three pod made my stance known that not playing a guy extensive minutes because of four personal fouls is like a self defeating prophecy. Like it's it's a lose lose situation. You shouldn't do it. You, you get the worst of if the player does foul out anyway. There's no point in holding him to. Don't you're light the spark plug for me on, on this one, Ty. Oh my goodness. Are, are you
2: are you in agreement? Or are you opposed? To yes. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. I. I mean, Aiton played four and a half minutes. Like he didn't foul out. Like I just. And it's not just that; it's the fact that like the Kaminsky minutes were were awful. Like, like it's and it's not really a Kaminsky's fault. Like you should know he's he's your third string center. Um, and just like it just it just drove me it just drove me wild and it drives me wild whenever a coach does it because you are, you are taking a guy out so he doesn't foul out so he can't play so you're basically exactly. doing what, what you think is going to happen and it's just especially with a guy like Aiton, who deserves the benefit of the doubt at this point. Like he's not he's not Jaren Jackson right? He's not. He's not a guy who, like, oh, yeah, he's going kind to of foul out. Really. And so... The Nassus. Yeah. Yeah. I, <laughs> yeah and I, like, I, I did not like the game the game Monty coached yesterday. I think Monty's an excellent coach. He's done a lot of tremendous things this year. Um, he has undoubtedly kind of cemented himself as one of the better, best coaches in the NBA. Um, but, like, he had way too many minutes out there when CPN ate and weren't on the floor. And given the way Booker was struggling, it didn't make sense. He went too deep. Like, Keninsky shouldn't have played, like... Like you, don't, you don't you're not getting a functional big man in, in that sense in Kaminsky right like you're getting if you want to use Kaminsky like use him as a floor space or like like try and run some more double drags or maybe Mikel is the roller and he's is drifting out to three like don't don't use him as a normal don't use him in eight and drill because he can't do that so um yeah I was I was definitely um un, unenthused by Monty's game Monty's kind of coaching game yesterday and uh, a lot of it had to do with kind of how he handled Aiton's minutes and the fact that the dude played four and a half minutes second half and like, and he, I mean, he didn't play at all. He played what not at all after the ten minute mark of the third, and then he picked up a fifth in the fourth, and they took him out. And it's like wh- you're down twenty. What are you taking him out for? Like you're not going to come <laughs> back in. And sure enough, like I, I voiced my displeasure with that decision when it happened in the moment, and said that he probably wouldn't come back in. And sure enough, the game never got got close. And Aiden sat on the bench and, and played twenty four minutes in total. So yeah, I I think you know you know, criticizing Monty for his game yesterday and kind of how he handled the rotation is certainly certainly warranted, especially as we kind of you know juxtapose it with, with our uh, our grievances with, with Bud.
3: Well, to me, it's really just like – and, and I, I saw you had something, Rohan. But it's just – Bud is not going to be the – like it's, there's not going to be just one team who oh, – does he trust that guy a little bit too much? If it's going to be both teams, I think it's just comforting for Bucks fans – who I think go into most series, assuming the coaching battle could get bad for them again, somewhat unfairly, as we've covered some of the criticism is unfair, but certainly Bud's proclivity for multi benchman lineups and you know Teague 14 minutes with bizarrely important role on offense and that kind of thing. Like you look over Cam Johnson. or Cam Johnson was good, excuse me. Campaign 25 minutes. He's not played very well this finals. Craig at fifteen after that awful collision with Giannis, Kaminsky at 14, Abdul Nader with seven. Meanwhile, Ayton with the fouls, Booker with whatever the hell happened, only at twenty-nine minutes. But Mikhail Bridges at twenty-seven. It's just he's just better than those guys. Why is he not playing, you know, mid thirties minutes in in favor of any of those bench guys who Phoenix's bench outside of Cam Johnson, who has been just incredible all playoffs and in the finals, but Everybody else just has not been very effective at all. It's putting it lightly. So it, it's just comforting for Bucks fans. Like based on what we've seen so far, if that's even a push, it's you, you feel good about it. I mean, the Bucs have the best player in the series. If they're not going to get horribly outcoached, it really like comes down to how how well can Drew and Chris play. And if they can play well, you kind of have to like Milwaukee's chances.
1: It's going to come down to a lot of like you mentioned, diets. It's who trusts their guys more if you want to lookly, just firmly look at the uh, coaching battle, per se. Uh, th- I have a fun stat courtesy of uh, HP Basketball, Matt Moore, on Twitter. It's if uh, considering, uh, considering uh, Monty Williams not trusting Aiton to play those type of minutes, Like if Aiton is on the court and Giannis is not on the court, the Suns have won those minutes by 20-20. Like, and just in Giannis and Aiton minutes, the Bucks are plus three. Like, that's that's almost a pick they There's they're so similar, it's, a, it's such a small gap. And they're plus 21, the Bucks are in the Giannis non aiton minutes. It's a lot, it's a lot of the series is going to come down to how much is uh how much is Aiden going to be on the floor, and because we know. Giannis is just an alien at this point. He's gonna somehow play 48 minutes two weeks after breaking his leg. It's going to be wild, and it's it's gonna be it's gonna come down to how much is DeAndre Ayton gonna play? Is he gonna get in foul trouble like we talked about earlier? Probably not, but who knows? Especially with the way that the Bucks attack the rim, and they only have one guy who's really gonna who's really gonna match up in size uh, down there at the rim for Phoenix, and that's Ayton. So how much Aiton is going to play is really going to dictate the rest of this series and how it goes. And like you mentioned, Ty, if that's, that's what it comes down to. You have to like Milwaukee's chances a bit, even though they are down in the series still.
2: Yeah. I, I, I think like, I'm, I'm pretty confident Giannis is going to be like who he's been like, because as good as Aiton did in that one, in that matchup in, uh, in April, like I know, I know Giannis had a great game and he, he, he was unable to play most of overtime because of a, a calf or a heel or some or an ankle, some small, some small uh, injury there. Um, as well as he did, Giannis still got his, and, and Giannis was a, and Aiden was a different player back in February when those two teams played. Um, so I'm not reading too much into that, but and but Aiden just, you know, I was talking with some people yesterday, and like in Aiden's, like, Aiden's had a tremendous run. He's a he's a very good defender at this point now, but he's not. He's not that he's not the instinctive defender that you need. I think against Giannis, he's not the Gasol. He's not the Bam. Like he's mobile. He's not Bam mobile though. He's gotten he's gotten more aware as a defender, but he's not Gasol. Like he, it's just so tough to defend Giannis, and that's the thing is like is Giannis has definitely like I think taken his game to a new level in these playoffs offensively compared to previous years. But he also has more favorable matchups. Not, and that's not a criticism. It goes to show that like there are only very few opponents that can actually you know throw out the personnel to contain Giannis while also, you know, being good enough offensively still. And so that's part of where I think he's just at a disadvantage, Aiton, because he's not he's not some hyperactive, act, hyper like the smartest defender in the NBA. He doesn't quite have like the, the level of, I guess, brawn or like girth, maybe like Gasol is, just, Gasol is just a bigger guy than him, you know, in terms of kind of how... How I just how I don't know exactly. I mean, you know, he can cover cover more ground. Like you know, Giannis is able to get around Aiton in a way that I don't think he really could get around Gasol, or you know, when Gasol would help a lot too. So that's the biggest thing. Is like I think I think Aiton's gonna you know be a good player in this series as he's been for most of it. But I think that Giannis is just too too much for him, despite some some flashes where Aiton gives him issues.
3: I I think I'm just you know I've talked about before, um, just generally the Bucks. Maybe their one kind of intangibles ad- advantage, and if you want to tell me throw all this away at Jackson after I'm done, that's fine because I know you know there's not there's I, I have data for something else. There's not data for this, but just the fact that they've faced elimination in these playoffs, right? Like they they were down three two to Brooklyn and came back and win, and obviously a huge gut check moment against Atlanta, not only losing game one at home but also. You lose the game where Giannis goes out, how is the team gonna respond? Clearly not facing elimination, but certainly seemed like that series could have gone very, very badly very, very quickly, and then they run off two straight without him. But more so looking at just, you know, how Monty and, and the Suns have approached important games in the playoffs, they haven't they haven't faced elimination, so we don't know like what a game seven rotation would look like. But Game four against the Lakers, and this is the first round. This is a very long time ago, I I understand, but it's the one game, this whole playoffs, where Phoenix has gone in down. They were down 2-1. I think it's the last time they trailed in a series, I'm pretty sure. Um, Mm -hmm. Four players played first half minutes, including more than three minutes for Frank Kaminsky. So I I do think it's going to be a similar thing, and I do just to kind of compound that point of, like, that's not going to be a Budenholzer-only thing, and Budden might shorten up more or faster than Monty in this. I mean, we saw Brooklyn by the end. It was six guys, and Portis (laughs) was gone, and Forbes was gone. And I think Forbes played four minutes in game three. I think we're there already. I mean, maybe he gets another minute or two to see, but that this has been kind of the Budenholzer approach to every series. And I know, uh, I forget if it was Kevin Pelton or someone else a while back in the playoffs had the stat of, like, most of the time, this is how rotations go. It's it's per series, not round by round. When they shrink, e- each series, you know, from one to seven mm-hmm. is when they shrink. So, you know, I, I think Portis is is going to get a longer leash than the net series. I think he's still going to there, there's going to be some trepidation from Bud to play him long minutes in every game. He certainly showed something in, in game three. Forbes might be done. I think we're going to see less Teague as we go. It'll just be interesting to see how both teams. Handle that, and again, just another example of there's I think some value in you know the Bucks have been through this before this postseason. Phoenix outside of that Lakers series, they kind of have just cruised. And I think that's a positive and a negative in different ways.
2: Yeah, I think that's worthwhile. I think the you mentioned I think that's a great point from from I think whoever it was the mentioned kind of the rotation strength throughout a series rather than round around. I think the, you know just. You know, watching these playoffs, I think that's absolutely true. And I'm sure. I'm sure whoever you know tweeted that out or wrote an article had it statistically based. So, of course, my affirmation means means nothing there. But um, yeah, I think that's worthwhile. And I th- I think that you know as we project this series and, and look ahead to kind of see who's going to have the upper hand, like I I'm really fascinated to see. Like, what Devin Booker do we get? Like, I talked about it yesterday, and this isn't some indictment on him overall as a player, but, like, he's been pretty dang inconsistent in these playoffs. Like, and some of that's outside of his control. Like, against the Lakers, Chris Paul had, had one arm, and so the Lakers just didn't guard him off the ball, and that made things really tough for Booker. In round two, he was dealing with a broken nose, and I, I can't, I mean, trying to adjust to a mac to a mask on the fly. And at the same time, even before he broke his nose in game two, Pat Beverly was giving him some issues, but, you know, he was... He was really good in Game Two of uh, this series. um, wasn't you know, wasn't wasn't bad in Game One, but wasn't didn't set the world on fire. And then yesterday, he was pretty dang bad. You know, three point fifty percent is not his game. Settled for a lot of shots. I think he really kind of just took the first opening available to him. Like, like, and you know, he's he sat out a lot of that game yesterday. He he came out early of Game Two, and he just said it was like maintenance, get a couple minutes rest, but like. Like I I am curious, like what what Devin Booker do we get? Do we get the one who's had some incredible games where he just you know he beats good defense with his incredible shot making, or do we get the guy who maybe rushes decisions a little bit and is a little bit sloppy as a passer and has some struggles defensively? Like like who are we getting there? So I just that's the one thing that we haven't quite discussed about the series move before that I'm really fascinated by because like I'm not gonna speculate anything specifically, but something just seems a little off. Like whether he's maybe he's I think oh he had some a wrap on his wrist yesterday. Like maybe he's nursing an injury with his wrist. Like maybe the nose is bothering him a little bit. And so he's a little less, uh, he's a little more trepidatious about attacking the rim and getting to his spots in the paint or the elbows. Like he just doesn't quite seem himself. And there's just, just with the minute stuff too. So I'm not going to speculate anything in terms of, you know, what's actually going on, but I just want to know who do we get, which Devin Booker do we get? And we might not get the answer because as I said, he's been, he's been pretty up and down these playoffs despite having some really, really awesome moments.
3: Yeah, I think it's a great question. I had a stat on the pod yesterday. This was, game three was the tenth time this postseason book has shot below forty two percent from the field. The Suns are five and five in those games and nine and zero when he's above that. So, and he still scored a lot in some of those below forty two percent. I mean, it's volume players are just going to have low shooting nights where they still score, but just generally, I mean, when he's been efficient. They haven't lost. So it's a it's a huge question for the Bucks, and I think that ties back into adjusting the defense so whether it's switches on players that he feels comfortable with or running the drop, which it just doesn't seem like we're really gonna see anymore. It's straight up drop. You can't let him get comfortable. I think that is something that the Bucks took away from game one is like he and C P as well, but I think really Booker, they they said, listen you're gonna hit some shots, but we're not gonna let you get in a rhythm. We're not gonna let you look at open look after open look. You're gonna to have to beat a guy and score, and you're gonna do it. It's gonna happen. Some possessions. Those guys are so good, but we're not gonna let you get in this rhythm and shoot fifty percent from the field because, you know, no one's beaten the Suns this postseason when he's done that. So it's gonna be fascinating. I do think that's the big question. You know, I, I'm I'm glad he's not getting unnecessarily pillared. I think it's worth Having this conversation, these questions that we're asking right now, and that was my stance yesterday as well. If this was Giannis in the same situation as Booker last night, I can't even imagine what the reaction and blowback would be. It would be excessive. Um, Again, I'm, I'm glad not everyone is going out of their way to crap on Devin Booker. I don't know what was up either, if it was an injury or what. I've heard some people say more rest. I've uh, had more days off than the Bucks, and Giannis just got his <laughs> leg screwed back on, and that was an extra rest day. I don't know how much rest would be necessary, but whatever it is, you know, a, hey, it's a good sign for the Bucks, and hopefully, it's something that you know, it's, f- from a Bucks perspective, hopefully, it's not an injury, but just if if it's truly just hey, you weren't playing well, we're just gonna sit you and and not do it. I don't know what kind of reaction that has. Like, I don't know. It's a very weird situation. I was surprised he didn't, like, that Monty didn't just stick him back out there for a few minutes just to avoid this literal conversation.
2: Yeah, it's, and I think... Yeah. Here, you go, Ron. I'll I'll follow up after you.
1: It's... uh, You mentioned, Jackson, you mentioned his three-point rate. I feel like uh, Milwaukee is doing a decent job. Again, they're not doing perfect, but they're trying to make... Chris Paul and Devin Booker turn into pull-up three-point shooters, which Chris Paul is not going to do. He's not going to take shots that he doesn't want to. Devin Booker will at times. like We saw him pull up for three in transition and tried to hit a shot over Giannis that just (laughs) clanked off the backboard. And It's like, sure, you can hit that shot. You're very capable of hitting that shot. But when you're not in a rhythm and you're not, you know, shooting well, that's not going to be the shot that, you know, gets you into a rhythm. I was very critical of Chris Middleton when he did that in game two, tried to take that same exact shot, basically, and it just didn't go in. It's like, what are you doing, my guy, <laughs> sort of thing. So uh, it's it's a lot of uh, – it, it goes back to Milwaukee's defense and that, like – one of the things Drew Holiday is like to do now is just dart under screens quick, especially if they've started to set them higher so that Chris Paul, it's like if he wants to really dissect it, he's not going to beat Drew Holiday in terms of quickness. So if he wants to get around him, he's going to have to pull up for three, and that's just – he's not going to want to do that. Devin Booker, he's going to try to do that, and it's just like he's going to have those nights where it just doesn't go in. Like we saw in game one and now game three and game two even – he had, I believe, he was seven of twelve from three, and all seven of his threes were considered contested by uh, NBA's tracking data, which is on and off. It's not perfect by any means, necessary, but it still speaks to he's an elite shot maker. He's definitely capable of being that guy who can just hit contested look over uh, again and again. But it's not going to be a real consistent thing, especially because we've seen and you've mentioned this already, Jackson. We, he's been very inconsistent in these playoffs. Things have happened. Obviously, there are circumstances. There's circumstances for everyone and for every team, especially these two teams that are remaining. You, sometimes you just gotta you gotta you gotta live with it. And uh, it, it'll be interesting to see how Devin Booker responds to this performance. Is he gonna learn from Milwaukee's coverages, or is he gonna be uh, is he gonna fall into the trap that Milwaukee wants him to fall into? Is to take the shots that uh, he's not his strongest at.
2: Yeah, and I think you know, Ty, you mentioned like if this were Giannis in that position. I think that's obviously that it's an indictment on kind of how how these things go, right? Rather than like saying that Giannis, you know, into that Ben Booker needs to to receive the same criticism that Giannis might there, um, and that's kind of you know I was tweeting about it earlier today. But there's this there's this drive to make every performance about something than just the performance itself. Like we can sit here and criticize the way Devin Booker played and some of his inconsistencies without turning it into, oh, he doesn't have it. He, like he, he's not a winning player. He's not a playoff performer. Like none of us are saying that and rightfully so. We're just noting that he, he's he been inconsistent. And that's that's normal for a, what, a 24-year-old in his first playoff appearance. Like he's having a very good playoff debu- de- debut, all things considered, you know, dealing with Chris Paul's injury to start and then dealing with his broken nose and Justin Duhamass. Like, and he's had some big performances in key games. So um, that that's the thing for me is that, like, it doesn't have to mean anything more than the fact he's just struggling at times right now. Like, it's, it's, it's not an indictment on him as a player at all. It just is is any kind of the criticism of his on-court play in the moment. But, yeah, I think, you know, Booker is a guy who everyone builds out of college as being this great, great shooter. Like, Clay Thompson was, was the comp. Obviously, he's, he's shifted the comparisons now. But he's not really a great three-point shooter. He's fantastic from mid-range. He's a very good free-throw shooter. Like, has impeccable touch from about... A free throw line and in just his ability to kind of change the level of arc on some shots and get the ball over and loft it in is incredible. So um, if you're turning them into a guy who's taking half of his shots from three, that's a win for the defense. And of course, if he hits seven out of 12 3s threes, you're like, bang, that, that's that's a bummer. Like that that's really frustrating. But like process wise, you will live with that. Now you don't always have the the option to live with things process wise in a seven game series. But like you're seeing that when he when he takes seven threes the next game and hits one of them. That he's he struggles more. So um, really, I'm curious to see how he respond. I think you know the the Suns have done really well to you know kind of get guys going, especially Booker at times in this series by just you know changing their the floor alignment around him to give him more space. Because I mean, every superstar and every great scorer loves prefers to have space to work with. But Booker is a guy I think even more so, like really enjoys having space um, and kind of working in space. And so I think the Suns will do better try and make more of a conscious effort to get him into the into space because I don't think he really had that in game three, but, um, but we'll see it. He just, he just, there's just, just something doesn't quite feel normal. Like he didn't play at all in the fourth quarter of today. Like, and, and I mean the game, yes, they were down 22 going into the fourth, but like, that's not insurmountable. Like, I mean, it's not, it's, it's tough, but like, I, like you're not resting. There. Like, I don't buy a rest. If that's, if that's something that people are saying, I don't think that's, that could be a reason. Maybe that's what the coaching staff is saying, but, I, that's not something that I can like. That's something that I can like say. Okay, that's fine. Like I, I support that. I just so really, really am curious. There's a lot of things I want to see what happens in Game Four. But what type of Devin Booker we see and how they try and manufacture his touches and spots that he likes to shoot from is really, really uh, interesting to me.
3: They had CP out there for a lot of those minutes, so I'm not buying straight up. If there's anyone you want to rest, it's probably. Missed a couple games last series, ancient Chris Paul. But um, one quick point more on Booker, and then I want to, whatever Rohan wants to ask for the last question, I know we're, we're running up on an hour here. But, I mean, Jackson, you just made the point about Giannis on Twitter that, you know, it takes a long time for even the greatest players in the league to have their games completely translate to the playoffs. I think for a lot of reasons, it is a different game. It is harder whether it's the whistle, but I think more so just the intensity and the focus on not every, not even every game, but every possession for most teams. So, um, you know, you made the point for Giannis. and This is something I've been trying to keep in mind and, and voice over the last couple of years. I mean, people saying Giannis isn't that guy because he's 25 and can't beat a team full of great defensive players basically only worried about him. Um, So I think with Booker, that sort of applies, too. I think it's easier a little bit for perimeter players. But still, at his age, the first real first playoff run, you know, it's just it it would be silly to expect him to be just as good as he is in the regular season the whole time. I think it takes time for everyone. But uh, Rohan, what what's one more question or topic you're wondering about as it relates to these finals?
1: I think it's it's a fairly simple question. How do we think it's going to play out? We're at it tipping point of this series realistically because game four is, is it's essentially going to decide the series 3-1 is obviously not insurmountable we've seen it in the past and uh, that's very very unlikely there's a reason there's a lot made of that run because it is very very difficult to come back from a 3-1 deficit especially in the finals without home court so i'm saying essentially it's a tipping point because if you lose if you're milwaukee you've basically, your season's essentially over. That's what it was going into game three, and it's going to be the same thing going into game four. So I guess just the series overall and just game four specifically. Jackson, how do you think this is going to play out? I I still
2: I still lean toward the Suns. Like game three did make me reconsider some things. Not that after game two, I was like, oh, it's a sweep. Like, no, it just doesn't. Just how I, I picked the Suns in six heading into the series. I still feel pretty comfortable there. Um, one, because... Like we talked about the Bud stuff, like I don't, I don't trust him to play Lopez the minutes he needs. Like I just think those first three games, like yeah, game three I was fine with it, but the first two games Lopez should have played much more and he didn't. So I'm, I'm worried there. I don't think Aiden's gonna get into big foul trouble again. Um, you know, I know Giannis is gonna continue to dominate, um, but then I. Like as good as Drew Holiday's been, you know, defensively, and I thought he was even I thought his decision-making process, even outside of hitting five threes, was better. Like I thought he made some really nice passing reads yesterday. Um having had a nice play to Pat Conanton, maybe a corner also an assist on a corner three to PJ Tucker. Um but I just I just can't trust Drew offensively. Like he's just been so inconsistent in these playoffs offensively, largely like not very good as a score. Like I know his assist total has been pretty good, but I I do feel like he still is leaving a lot on the table there. Um and so like I just I just have more faith in you know, not the game three was an outlier. Like, I mean, there are going to be a lot of outliers in a, in a seven game series, but I, I just lean toward the suns more because I think there were a lot of things that went Milwaukee's way. And that's not to say that. I mean, like the Suns shot 50% on threes in game two, of course, that's a huge thing, but I just feel more confident in like, if things, if things stabilize to how like these teams can normally play, I just have more confidence in kind of in Phoenix's big three to an extent But also just kind of how the big three makes its impact. I feel more confident in Phoenix's side of things. But I think these will be some great games. Like I do think Milwaukee figured some things out, especially on defense to to really make things tough. Because I didn't really mention either. Like yes, Aiton didn't get a lot of touches uh, down the stretch of that game after the you know maybe the ten minute mark of the second quarter. But the the Bucks also did better. Like Middleton was really physical denying him. They kept Giannis on him a lot. So um, that's just my way of like I guess. Kind of hedging, but more so like just I think these, these games are going to be pretty good um, or should be on paper. But, of course, one team is always going to shoot better from three. That's how basically every playoff game goes. But I just lean the Suns because I have more confidence and kind of if everything is kind of at a base level. I think what they do is a little more replicable to, to winning these games than, than the Bucks.
3: If, if and I'm not, a, I'm not saying this will happen, but let's assume the Bucks win game four not not even necessarily a blow, but a, a comfortable win in game four and you're looking at a three game series two in phoenix of course um, And not not to say i don't care about the number but do you still lean Suns in that scenario or at that point do you go uh ah, maybe maybe <laughs> now i think about the bucks a little bit more
2: yeah that's tough because as i think it's important that like yes not every not every team has the better best player and it wins you know a series of course but um, but like, you, you mean, you would, you should feel, I mean, you should feel confident if you have best of three with Giannis on your side. Um, but it's too tough for me to say one way or the other, just because I don't know how that victory would come, right? right like, I don't know, right. did Giannis dominate again? Did, did Monty you know, bungle the rotations? Did like, how, were they still struggling to create offense? Like, what happened there? So it's just, it's just too tough with that broad hypothetical, but it certainly would make me reconsider because I would be under the assumption that Giannis plays very well again, because nothing has shown me otherwise through these games um and that would that would you know like i said if you got the best player on, on the floor um in the best out of three i know you'd have two games on the road um it would it would still make me kind of like i was still in the sun just kind of with that hypothetical but it would certainly change depending on kind of how how they got
3: to that
1: result you're, it would be I know a you're... very difficult road for sure
3: yeah, you're you're a smart Jackson. You're you're a process over results guy. I Should have known that wasn't the right way to frame the question. But um, yeah, I, I'm too high on the Bucks again. I, I think Bucks and six is in play. If it's not a trap. Probable. Absolute trap. I know it is. I know it is. <laughs> Honestly, you want to know my hotter take than Bucks and six is still alive? Of course. I just got. I guess no one. To, okay. Um, <laughs> I think they could win even if they went down three-one. And I, I, nah, you're drinking the Kool Aid. I don't think they would, <laughs> but I think they could. And it, it comes back to Giannis, though, which is the point Jackson made. It's like if, if you get three straight good Chris games, good dev- let's say great Chris games, great, let's say very good Chris games, uh, down 3 1, you just know, I think, what Giannis's output is going to be now. I don't know if there's a good answer. I think he's just elevated past that. And it's, it's just the margin is, is, looser for the Bucks now I mean they they can still lose clearly we've seen them lose twice in this series and once even when Giannis was great but you just need enough from the other guys and it can be some combination doesn't have to be everyone else on the roster but you know Chris averages 28 from here or 25 from here which certainly possible for him to do based on what we've seen in other series it just feels like they're they're gonna have opportunities to be in the driver's seat, and I'm not writing off Phoenix. I know they're a very very good team, a great team, deserving to be here. The Giannis thing is a cheat code, and I think the, <laughs> the Bucks have figured out other stuff too. But that's where the confidence starts and ends with me. That's how I woke up this morning feeling. <laughs> I didn't rewatch the game, but just thinking back, like when you got the guy who's putting up the Shack numbers, it's hard not to feel good.
2: Yeah, I think I think too what what I was. Impressed by and encouraged by from a Buck perspective, I just thought their execution level was, was I think that was one of their best best executed games of the playoffs. Like I know, no Booker didn't play a ton, he missed shots, and Aiton was in foul trouble or quote unquote foul trouble. Um, but I <laughs> but I just thought they executed better. Like I think because one of the things that like has frustrated me about the Bucks throughout these playoffs I know they're in the finals and they're three games away from a title, but I just am constantly frustrated by the level of execution at times for a team that's this far into the playoffs. And I thought they were really good at that and get like, they had game plans and they stuck to it. Giannis dominated Chris hit shots. Drew's decision-making was better. Annie hit shots. The defense was great. And so that was just, that was most encouraging to me, but, uh, yeah, I'm. I am curious. I feel like the Bucks, the last couple, even kind of the start of the Bud era. That's the it's a classic Charlie Brown meme, right, with with the football and whatnot. And I'm, I'm wondering if eventually Charlie's going to kick that football, and the Bucks are going to are going to uh, kind of finally deliver on kind of everything they've they've shown at, in, in spurts uh, throughout these three years, and especially you know, in, in longer spurts during this playoff run.
1: Ty, that's a that's a bold take. You've had, some, <laughs> you've had some takes, my guy, over the last couple of
3: podcasts. I'm high on Bucks basketball. I don't know what you want me to do about this. They're <laughs> in the finals, Rohan. This is I know, is, which is
1: why I'm I'm just happy to be here. <laughs>
2: <laughs> you know, well, better be optimistic or, about your team's chances, right? For winning the title in 50 years rather than hey, exactly. exactly. Ty, Ty's sure. not claiming to be an objective NBA NBA journalist here. He's, he's a he's a Bucks fan with a podcast, and he's, he's he's optimistic about his team. So I. I totally I totally respect it, but I get I get Rohan skepticism too. You don't wanna you don't wanna delude yourself into to you know, always always the expectations. So I I get both sides of the ledger. I'm, I'm playing the middle. I'm
3: I'm doing <laughs> playing both sides here. It's because 'cause I'm never this guy. It's just yeah, recently that's why it's the so net confusing. series is what unlocked it's the net series. And then when Giannis came back, obviously when Giannis seemingly got hurt, it was all you know, fire and brimstone. But I don't know. I don't know. Something's in the air.
1: The net series, did it broke me and it made you optimistic, Ty. It's just been a wild <laughs> turn of events here. Uh, but uh, I think we I think we had, this was a fantastic conversation. Jackson, there's one more important question I need to ask you. I know you made an announcement about this, but you, there's plenty of places people can find you. Tell us about <laughs> that and uh, the house that Hinky built.
2: Uh, yeah, so you can find all my Sixers-related podcasting uh, on the Blue Bloorware Network. I am wrapping up kind of my player grades for the year. I'll have a couple more episodes of that with the Four most uh, you know relevant players in the Sixers right now: Seth Curry, Tobias Harris, Ben Simmons, and Joel Embiid. Uh, so you can find all of that at the House the Hinky Built uh, podcast, part of the Blue Wire Network, uh, wherever you get podcasts. Uh, and then general NBA content. Um, you can find me at Dime Up Rocks. You can find me at the Analyst. Um, soon, you can find me at the Basketball at Basketball News. I'm um, still doing some work with ESPN's Liberty Ballers. Want to do Sixers coverage. Um, a lot of my podcasts are live as well as Spotify green room. So I'm everywhere and anywhere in between. Um, you can find me basically, <laughs> basically anywhere. And the easiest way to, uh, do that is a centralized location, you can follow me or just find me on Twitter at Jack Frank underscore J J F everywhere. I'm putting out NBA content. is listed in my bio there as well as an email. If you would like to give me suggestions for topics or anything in general or criticism, I'm open to all of it.
3: I just got to ask quickly. I, I'm, I'm assuming Embiid is number one. Is Seth Curry number two in player grades? So you don't have to tell me if you don't want to. Spoil
2: uh, no. So so far, I think the highest grade, if I recall, has been I want to say want to say Tyrese Max or Danny Green, but I think I think Seth will get. I will spell out. Seth is going to get an A plus for me. That'll be the first A plus of of this series so far. Joel will probably get one, but I'll but I'll think more about it. We'll have to. I have to see how I weigh you know the injury and him for a little bit yeah. in crunch time of games but uh, Seth will certainly get the A+ because of how good he was this year and how he he basically just turned into a slightly lesser uh, slightly lower usage version of his of his brother in, in the playoffs there so uh, we'll give it, we've even got quite a few A's but um, Seth will Seth will uh, sit atop the ledger there.
1: Like Maybe you. one day we will get the destined bucks sixers series because it's, it's been written in the stars for years and years and years and it just hasn't happened just hasn't worked out.
2: I want, I want to see how years. Giannis would face that defense. I think, you know, if he's faced two really optimal defenses against the Raptors in the Heat last couple of years, I think the one with Embiid, you know, Simmons great help defender, help defender Danny Green, a good help defender in Tobias Harris. I would love to see how, you know, this this version of Giannis fared, but it's but Plus unfortunately, Giannis,
1: yeah. Giannis and the take those matchups really yeah. seriously. Yeah. But
2: yeah, we've had some great games. I mean, just over the years, just some really, really fun ones, and and just level. I mean, the level that Giannis is playing at, and the, the defensive level that that Joel was at in these playoffs, um, it would have been really fun. So maybe next year we'll get it. Maybe a second round series. You know, but at the very least, I would like to see it um, quite, quite, uh, quite significantly. Um, but unfortunately, Doc Rivers and his rotations had the other plans. This uh, <laughs> year wasn't the only culprit, but Shake Milton, all due respect to him, was getting the fourth quarter minutes in the game in the Game Seven, and that's Shake had not earned those minutes. But but I digress. I've talked enough about Doc Rivers and his faults rotationally <laughs> over the last month or so.
1: It's okay. I think this audience will love it. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, for sure. J- make sure you follow Jackson Twitter. Make sure you just get all of the content possible because he is one of the smartest people out there. It is an honor to have had you on this podcast. It's just your work is unparalleled. It's incredible. Make sure you check out everything he does. It's you won't be disappointed by anything. I promise you that. I can tell you, know, man, sure. you're,
2: you're, you're, you might be overselling. I might. No,
1: it's true. It's true. It's true. Sure. I appreciate it. Nonetheless, Ty, you'll
3: back me up, right? Of course. <laughs> of course. Team Jackson. We are on the Eurostep podcast network.
1: Yes, for sure. But yes, we will wrap up this episode of the Eurostep here on the Eurostep Podcast Network and the Blue Wire Podcast Network. If you did enjoy the show, make sure you leave a five-star rating on Apple. Ty, do you have a rating for us? I do. I
3: do have a rating. It's the last new one for now. So if you haven't yet, folks, you're listening, even if you're not on Apple, grab an Apple device, steal someone's Apple device, not literally for legal reasons, but acquire an Apple device. Eurostep Podcast Network, five-star rating and review, get it read on the show, like Wahuba Chuck, uh, pessimistically optimistic Taylor Desh, uh, was they, they write, was always a fan of Jordan and Adam for the past few years at Win and Six, and now that they have joined forces with Ty and Rohan, I'm more plugged in than ever. Nobody quite captures my mood swings like these four, as it seems each episode I identify with a different host's emotions over the most recent Bucks game. I highly recommend giving this podcast a follow slash subscribe to help Bucks fans with their roller coaster of emotions. Remember, you can't hit a one-legged, off-balance running push shot in the finals if you don't attempt a one-legged, off-balance running push shot in the finals. Keep up the nice work, fellas. Shout out to uh, Bryn Forbes who inspired that uh, motivational uh, quote there. But a great review. Thank you, Taylor.
1: Yes. Thank you. And make sure you keep those reviews coming. We'll read them out here on the show. But yeah, again, it just makes us feel better as well. Uh, make sure you're subscribed on all podcast platforms of choice. Check out all of Jackson's stuff. Again, make sure you check out all the content across the blue wire podcast network. Go bucks, everyone. And we will talk to you next time.